0: We are studying Paul's letter to the church in in Ephesus, which is why we call it the Ephesians. They're people in Ephesus. They're Ephesians. And so Paul's writing a letter, a pastoral letter to these Christians in this area of the world. That that part of the world is in Turkey today. But this is um, chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. You can find it in your bulletin so that you can follow along. Let me read God's word. Paul says this, Now this I say and testify in the Lord. You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. For those of you that aren't familiar with this word Gentile, that's simply what non-Christians, That's a word for non-Christians. So Paul says you must no longer walk as non-Christians in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of the heart. They've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality Ready to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. This is God's word. In April of this year, Michael Carey Lewis, who was 34 years old, had just been released from the St. Lucie County Jail in Fort Pierce, Florida. Officers spotted him on camera acting suspicious in the parking lot of the jail. The security footage showed him checking cars and finally getting into one. When he was approached by the officers and shortly thereafter arrested. Michael Lewis gave the officer, the arresting officer, an iPhone 7, a debit card, four packs of cigarettes, and $547 cash. Lewis couldn't even leave the jail before he was brought back into the jail and arrested on charges of burglary, grand theft, and possession of stolen property. I guess he didn't want his freedom. Now, this, of course, reminds me of this strange phenomenon that does exist in our world, that some people have become so accustomed to jail that it's the only life they know, and they immediately go right back into jail. They commit a crime and go back to the jail. It reminds me of the line Morgan Freeman's character, Red, said in Shawshank Redemption. These prison walls are funny. First you hate them, then you get used to them. Enough time passes, you get so you depend on them. You know, according to the scripture, Christian faith is an amazing thing for those who have bowed the knee and trust Jesus as their Lord and Savior. To those who have bowed the knee and looked at Christ for salvation, there is a new reality, a new identity that Christians have. And it's all throughout the New Testament. 2 Corinthians 5, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. 1 Peter, you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. Romans 6, you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. Ephesians 1 and Galatians 4, you are adopted as sons and daughters. You have been made an heir. Ephesians 1, you are forgiven and redeemed. Romans 3, you are justified. 1 Corinthians 1, you are sanctified. Colossians 3, you've been raised with Christ. 1 John, you are the beloved of God. Galatians 5, you have been set free. The truth about Christians, the real identity of a Christian is radically different at their conversion. When one places their faith and trust in Christ, the DNA of God is imputed to you. You are a different person. Yet many Christians experience a life far different from who God says they are. Sadly, most, if not all Christians, will return to an old way of thinking that radically alters their experience of life. Like a prisoner who, upon release, decides it is better to go back into jail rather than to live in the newfound freedom that they have. And they do it because the jail is familiar. Because of this unbelief in Christians, there can be little to distinguish a Christian from a non-Christian. Christian. Christian. To those of you who do consider yourselves to be followers of Christ, to have bowed the knee and to look to Christ for salvation, let me ask you this very personal question. What is it that distinguishes you from a non-Christian? If you have a difficult time answering that question, Perhaps you are not a Christian, but at the same time, there is a reality that you will be a Christian and you still have a very difficult time distinguishing between the two. This morning, I want to help you, especially those that consider themselves to be a Christian but can't distinguish themselves from non-Christians because we've been called something far different who we say we are. Ephesians 4, 17 through 24, in my own personal conviction, is one of the most clear and potent passages of what it means to live as a Christian. And it is far more beautiful than what any of us can ever consider. I'm telling you, if you can get your mind wrapped around what I preach, your life will, you will experience a life that you've never experienced before. And there's a story in the history of the church that kind of mirrors this. There's a man named Martin Luther who, who was shackled by the church and struggled mightily uh, in this like self-righteous life. And when he read Romans 1, his life was completely and utterly changed. And through that, the world was changed. The Protestant Reformation was spun out. And it's the same thing for you. If you can understand what Paul is saying in these few verses I am I am convinced that it can create a reformation of the way you think and the way you live. I don't say this lightly. I I don't want to be hyperbolic, and that's why I don't say these things, and maybe I I won't say this. But if there's a message that I've preached in the years I've been a pastor that is more relevant for Christians and more meaningful than Christians, more than this one, I don't know. This is the most important message for Christians that we can hear right here, right now, today. I'm telling you, we're going to study it. And so how do we begin to wrap our mind around what we just read? What is it that Paul tells us that I'm saying is going to radically reform the way you experience life? What is it? How do we wrap our mind around what what we're called to do? And it's very simple. Out with the old. On with the new. Out with the old, on with the new. If we understand how to be out with the old and on with the new, I really do believe there will be reformations of lives and people will be set free. If you don't consider yourselves a Christian, I'm really glad you're here. I want you to hear all that I'm about to say. But what I'm about to say is the reality of of what scripture says of a Christian. My hope for you, as you listen, that you might be intrigued and say, I want that life too. So let's dig in. Out with the old, on with the new. Paul is very clear in this text that Christians should not live as they once did. He says this with great pastoral unction and concern. Verse 17. Now this I say, and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. They've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. You know, when we read these, we might be tempted to think of these words in the voice of a street preacher, as if Paul is saying... You're going to hell. Get in back in. You better get back in the church. But we must not read it this way. Paul is, a, he is, he is writing to Christians. He's not telling them to, on the corner and screaming at them. He's doing it with great pastoral concern. That's why he says, I testify in the Lord. You got to listen to me. You got to listen to me. What is it that Paul is getting at with these words? He is asking that the Christians be out with the old. The old way of living is a way of thinking that leads to a certain way of living that has detrimental consequences. Let me say this again. The old way of thinking, the old way of living is a way of thinking that leads to a way of living that has detrimental consequences. Three different times in different phrases, Paul refers to a way of thinking. Verse 17, non-Christians walk in the futility of their mind. Verse 18, they are darkened in their understanding and they are ignorant. Futility of mind, darkened in understanding, ignorant, thinking. Non-Christians have a way of thinking that doesn't apply to truth, doesn't apply truth appropriately. And here's where I think Paul is going with this. I think he is referring to how we think about ourself. He is addressing the way we think about ourselves. And we can see this in verse 22 and 24 when he talks about the old self and the new self. I'm telling you this right here. There is perhaps not a more relevant theme in our culture right now than identity. Who are you? And Paul is telling the Christians in Ephesus 2,000 years ago, and he's telling us as Christians today, it is very important the way you think about yourself. Well, how do the old, how is the old way of thinking about yourself? What is Paul getting at with this? I think what he's getting at is this. You determine your identity, who you are on your behavior. The old way of thinking is basing your identity, who you are, on how you behave, on what you accomplish, on who you're tied to, on what you do, what you don't do. You are how you behave. If you look throughout all of Scripture, if you want to go from Genesis all the way through Revelation, this is the theme of those who are not Christians, they define themselves based on themselves. It's not a dependence on God, it's an independence on themselves. And perhaps many of you have known the difficulties and the challenges of basing one's identity on what you accomplish, on what you don't do, on who you're married to, on what you experience. Do you experience this? Many of us have but to base one's identity on one's behavior paul will say to christians is futile and why is it futile because it's ever-changing it's ever-changing and as christians we know that to base one's identity on who you are what you do it is indeed futile but here's what he says Our thinking affects the way we live. And what does Paul say for those who live in this old way of thinking? What is the pattern? The thinking about who we are leads to what? You can see this. Verse 19. Got fired up right there. You can see this at the very end, the last verse. They've become callous and have given themselves up To sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. And here's where I think he's going with this. Because when we think a certain way about who we are, there's going to be certain reactions. If we can never measure up to this identity that we long for, which is the truth of everyone, we'll never be able to measure up to the standard of culture. We'll never be able to measure up to the standard of God. And so when we feel the tension that this creates, and it will create a tension, you're going to be hurting. And you're going to long for something more. And you're going to long to sense something that brings comfort. What are the consequences of thinking in this way? You're going to give yourself up to sensuality. And I want you to hear it in the very sensical way that you touch something, that you, that you hear something, that you taste something, that you smell something. Those who are constantly basing their identity off of themselves, on their behaviors, will inevitably turn to their senses to try to numb the pain that this reality creates. Our thinking about who we are always leads to how we act. And Paul is telling these Christians, this is the way it goes. You go this way, and certainly in in this way, we, we tend to think of it in the sexual connotation and certainly that's one of the ways it is but i want to broaden it i want you to see it for much more than what it is we can turn here's what we can do we can even turn to religion and we can get out of boys from from obeying god and, and our identity is boosted up but you see This way of thinking, basing our identity off of ourselves, leads to a way of acting, and that way of acting has incredibly detrimental consequences. And of course, what's the detrimental consequence? Alienated from God. We see that in verse 18. It's the pattern, for those of you that are familiar, with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, they they take of the fruit, they depend on themselves, and in that taking of the fruit, they are exposed in their shame, and they hide. And what happens? God removes them from the Garden of Eden. And so the old way of thinking is a way of thinking, I base my identity off of who and what I do. My identity is based off of me, and the consequences of that are going to be living a life of sensual Uh, practices that will never satisfy. That's what, and that's the last thing. Greedy to practice every kind of purity. Greedy. Always pursuing more. I need more. I need more. I need more. That's, I, I didn't cover that. See, but the old way of thinking is basing one's identity on oneself. That will lead to a sensual way that will never satisfy and will lead to alienation from God. I had to learn this the hard way in seminary. I had to learn how I did this in seminary. And I'm learning it all the time, even myself. Because mind you, this is a, a letter written to Christians. Because we often, so, so often fall back into this old way of thinking of basing our identity. Who am I? Off of what we do. I took a class called Addictions. I heard it was a great class. And, um, but I think that there was, a, there was a deeper uh, issue. Um, you see, when you're taking five classes, And four of those classes require you to write 20-page papers. When you hear that a class has minimal homework, you take that class amongst all of those um, difficult courses. And indeed, when I took this class, great lectures, wonderful readings, but the one homework assignment was this. I just want you to write a paper about your addiction and then prepare to present it to the class. Done. You want me to just write? like I don't have to worry about citing stuff? Boom. I can do this. Until I started to work on the paper. And then I had to start looking at who I was. Because addiction, after all, is a sensual practice. And when you begin to look at the things that you use to numb the pain in your life, those sensual ways, what does it ultimately do? Well, what am I basing my identity off of? What did I discover in the course of writing this paper? That I was addicted to religion. I've been addicted to religion for a long, long time. I base my identity, here's what I learned, I base my identity off of doing right for God, of doing well for others. I thought, hey, if I do right with God, God will love me.
1: If I do right for
0: others, others will love me. And you know the truth is, I was affirmed a lot of ways in that. So I wrote this paper and I said, I'm addicted to to religion. I'm addicted to what it brings for me. I'm addicted to to the joy it brings for me. But I realized this, that I can't ever measure up because I'm going to let people down and I'm going to continue to let God down. So I did this and I said this in front of all of my classmates and my teacher uh my teacher, she looked at me and she goes, do you experience a lot of self-contempt, Dan? I didn't even know what self-contempt meant. <laughs> What's self-contempt? Do you hate yourself? Oh, yeah. I hate myself. Because I'm rarely ever measuring up to the standard of God. I'm rarely ever measuring up to the standard of people. And she reminded me, that's the old way of thinking. You are not what you do. Don't hate yourself. Let me ask you this question. Because if you're a Christian, this is, this is the way in which you're tempted to think. You are how you behave. You're tempted to think that every day. Every day you get up in the morning, you're tempted to believe that. And if we're gonna, if we're gonna be off with the old, We've got to be able to identify the very ways in which we do that. And so let me ask you this, personally speaking, and you've just got to be straight up, and I've just got a few questions to help guide you in identifying how the old way will wrap its hands around you and not let you go, and it'll enslave you. Here's a couple questions to help lead you to identify the ways the old way of life will do it. Question one, what accomplishments in your life has produced the most joy. Oftentimes, that which produces the most joy is connected to something we've done or that we are doing. If we find joy in what we do, we are being tempted right then and there to base our identity off of what we do and our behavior. So what accomplishments in your life have produced the most joy? Secondly, Here's another question to help you think through the old way of thinking and exposing the old way of thinking in your life. What accomplishments are you working for that you think will give you most joy? Some of us have this idealized version in our mind of where are we going to go. And if we get to that, we will be complete and satisfied. But you see... That, that, which we hope to accomplish, is going to expose in and of ourselves the, the reality of us working our, or basing our identity off of ourselves? We must see that this is a futile way of thinking. We must see that this is a darkened way of understanding oneself. Last question, and there are so many more. We can, I can sit here and go through all these questions. What hardships that you have experienced drive you what hardships what are the things the wounds that you carry that continue to drive you there's a story in in early in my ministerial career and I I'm telling you I still carry these wounds today and it'll drive me but I have to let go of this where I was told Dan and I've said this before you're not a home run hitter you're not going to do what you're going to do in ministry. We need someone in Little Rock who's better, who's wiser, smarter, better preacher. I mean, those are the wounds that cut deep. And those are wounds that have literally driven me in the life of this church. But you see, that's an old way of thinking. And I cannot allow the wounds based off of my behavior, experience to drive me. The old way of thinking. The old way of thinking is to think, I am how I behave. We've got to let go of this. Out with the old. There's a second thing. We don't just have to identify the things, the patterns, the old way of thinking in our our life that is just killing us. If if we just identify it, I'm telling you, you'll be depressed and, and it'll be one of the hardest lives you have. You have to do a second you got to put on the new. Out with the old, on with the new. Paul could not have been clearer in this passage. Verse 22. Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And see this. Put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness, and holiness here's what i want to tell you about the new self the new self is a self that will and should blow your mind it is a self that is righteous and holy and this is the self we must put on paul says this about who we are in the new self we are righteous And we are holy. Righteousness is best defined in this way. Conduct that conforms to a standard. You're enough. You're righteous. Holiness is best defined in this way. We are set apart and associated with God. We have met God's standard and have been made one with Him. He is no longer far off. He is near. We are no longer alienated. We are his children. How in the world can Paul say this to a group of people who are prone to practice sensual things? How in the world can Paul look at us as Christians today and say, you are holy and you are righteous? I mean, we just spent a time confessing our sins. How can he say that about us? Friends, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we fail to grasp the gospel, then we will live in the old way of thinking and about our identity. Paul says in verse 20 of this text, this is not how we learned Christ, meaning there is a way of thinking about who we are as Christians and what it is that Christ has done for us. That if we don't get it right, we're going to be in this old pattern of way. But there is a different way of thinking. And here's the the way it all works out. When we bow the knee and acknowledge our inability to measure up to God's standard and to the standard of this world. When we acknowledge that we're sinners, that we're broken, that we'll never measure up. And that we look to Christ, not, you know, as Lord as the one who has accomplished everything we needed to accomplish, as our Savior, the one who was given for us that he might accomplish, and his blood was shed for our sins to satisfy the justice of God, that we've received the love of God. When this reality sets in, the DNA of every Christian is different than the DNA they were born with. There's an old self, and now there's a new self. And as Christians, we must embrace this new self, If we don't embrace our new identity, as Paul says we are, we will revert back to our old way of identity, basing who we are on what we do. I said it already once in this sermon, but I'm going to say it again because it's too good. Christian, who are you? Because you bowed the knee to Jesus as Lord and received from His him his salvation. Who are you? If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Christian, you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. Christian, you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Christian, you are adopted as sons and daughters. Christian, you've been made an heir. Christian, you are forgiven. Christian, you are redeemed. Christian, you are justified. Christian, you are sanctified. Christian, you've been raised with Christ. Christian, you're the beloved of God. Christian, you are righteous, and you are holy. This is who you are, and nothing can take it away from you. Put it on. Stop basing your identity on what you do or what you don't do. Put on the identity that was purchased for you and given to you freely. When I was in college, there was a movie. How to Lose a Guy in Ten Days. I'm not going to talk about the, the plot or the summary of this movie. It's a rom com, if you know what it is, a rom com, romantic comedy. But there's a scene near the end of the film. Oh, I, I, I'm like, how do I, how do I present this? What well, end of the, end of the movie? Andy and Ben. Um, there's this like tension between the two, and they're trying to fall in love with each other. But they go to this Diamond Delaurier Diamond Gala where the diamonds are, are being displayed and. Ben, the male character, is the marketing agency for this, and he's the one that uh, came up with the phrase, frost yourself, if anyone knows what I'm talking about. Yes, thank you. I'm so glad. 2003 was when this movie came out. But when everyone walked into this Delorier diamond ball place, gala, whatever you want to call it, Andy, the main female character, got the greatest diamond of all. Isadora. <laughs> Diamond. 87 carat. That's what the lady said if you, 87 carat worth five million dollars. And it was put on Andy's neck. And then things played out and she walked around with this five million dollar piece of jewelry the rest of the night. And they got into this fight and she runs out of the, the gala because she gets in this fight with Ben. And and of course the family who owns the diamond's like, get that woman back, we need that diamond. And she takes it off. And when she takes it off, she's like, I can't even, I can't even wear this. How did I even wear it in the first place? It's like, I don't deserve to wear this five million dollar piece of jewelry. And she just like gets it off and runs away. And I tell you that picture and that story for this very reason. Many of us, we, we kind of understand that Christ has made us righteous and he's made us holy but it makes us feel so uncomfortable like Andy wearing an 87-carat diamond. And we want to just get it off of us as fast as we can because we don't deserve it. We don't appreciate it. But here's the thing. As Christians, we wear a robe that is far more precious than any 87-carat diamond. The price of the robe that is placed on the shoulders of every Christian a robe that is righteous and holy, a robe that everything you've longed for in your life, it's yours. It's yours. Don't be uncomfortable with it. Put it on. This is who you are. You are the sons and daughters of God, made holy and righteous through Christ. Don't squirm. It's yours. It far exceeds any $5 million diamond. It's beautiful. How in the world do we get comfortable then wearing this robe? How do we we go and we live in this world with this robe on? Which is exactly what Paul is telling us to do. And he says it right here. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Think differently. Think differently. How in the world do we begin to think that we're no longer defined, our identity, who we are, by what we do or what, how we behave? How do we begin to think that we are who Christ says we are? Well, We've got to think three ways. We've got to think differently about our community. We've got to think differently about our community. No longer, here's here's one of the ways, no longer are we individuals doing individualistic things. We are individuals amongst the whole. This is why church membership is called, or this is why we call it church membership. We are individuals amongst a body, and we don't think of church that way. That that when I when I look at you or, or I say, "Hey, brother, hey, sister," that we're actually a body. We're we're a we're family. I mean, just because you're not blood related to me, you know, we don't consider that. But that, that's why you hear this language in the church, brother, member. We've got to think that the church is far more important than just me. It's about the whole. And we've got to think differently about this church. Not just ours, but about the church as a whole. And that what we do affects the body, or what we think affects the body. And we've got to think differently about the church. The second thing we got to think differently is about prayer. I'm telling you, we got to think differently about prayer. Far too many people, and and, and sincerely myself, struggle to think of prayer other than just intercession. What I mean by that is we just think it's some duty that we have to do to pray for other people. And indeed, interceding on behalf of others and on behalf of the church is a part of prayer. But when we think that that's prayer, then we miss out on the fruit and on the benefit of prayer. Prayer is much more than interceding. It is considering who you are. When Jesus taught the disciples to pray, how did he teach them to pray? What are the first words out of his mouth? When you pray, pray like this, Our Father in heaven. He's already helping you understand that you are a son or a daughter of the Most High God. We've got to think differently about prayer. Many of us don't pray because we only think of it as a burden. And if it's just a burden, and if it's just a tool to use to boost ourselves and our identity, like it was for me in a lot of my life, then we need to get away from that. So we got to think differently about prayer. we got to think of it as a gift of grace to us to remember who we are, to remember whose we are, and to remember what robe we wear. And the last thing is we've got to think differently about Scripture we got to think differently about Scripture. I think it's rightly said, the Scriptures are God's love letter to us. When rightly understood, when we understand the flow and the, and the understanding of Scripture, we understand that, that it is God's love letter to us. The church, just like it does with prayer, has often used it as a, as a way to boost one's identity. We need to use Scripture as a way to reframe our identity, not to boost it in our own strength, in our own power. That's why we have this tool, the CBR Journal. It's just a, its just so that you, on a daily basis, can reframe how you think, to think about who you are, not based off of what you do or how you behave, but about who God says you are. We just got to rethink it. We got to rethink the community. We got to rethink Scripture. And we got to rethink prayer. Let me close. Morgan Freeman played Red in Shawshank Redemption. And it's a powerful story about liberation and about the difficulties of experience liberation. But Red, Morgan Freeman's character, was in prison for more than 40 years. And throughout the movie, he was up for parole pretty much throughout it. But after 40 years, he was finally granted parole. And it's a powerful scene near the end of the movie upon his freedom they show morgan freeman walking through town and one of the places that he goes is to a pawn shop and the ways that the director focuses it they kind of show the gun a gun that he could use to go back to prison the prison that he'd become so accustomed to the old way of life he was known there he was appreciated there he had a role there he had a purpose. If he took a gun like he did in that pawn shop, committed a crime, he'd go right back there. But he remembered this. That's the old way of thinking. I'm a free man now. And there's a phrase that he said, and it's said throughout the movie, get busy dying, get busy living. And he chose the way of life. My friends, like Red did in Shawshank Redemption, put off the old, put on the new, and live. Your life will be reformed. It is the greatest news there ever was. You're new. Walk it in. Let me pray. Our gracious God, your gospel astounds us for how deep, how deep it goes into our life. For your gospel to affect who we are, for you to place righteousness and holiness, a bright standard upon our shoulders, and to consider us truly righteous and holy, that's ridiculous. But it is the gift that you have given to us. And so may we rightly walk in who you say we are, Lord, free us from the old way of thinking. We are so tempted each and every day to fall back into this pattern of thinking every day. And we ask that we would take up the tools you've given us, each other, your word, prayer, that we might be reminded of what your gospel says about who we are and what it says about you. Ultimately, Lord, all of this leads us to praise you and to glory in who you are and what it is you have done. You are wonderful, Lord. You are good. May we indeed walk in the newness of life.